Welcome to For the Love of Books, a podcast by North Lancashire Libraries. Hi everyone, welcome back to the North Lancashire Libraries podcast For the Love of Books. My name is Chris Wilson, the e-services librarian, and today I'm joined with a very special guest, an up-and-coming Scottish crime author, Emma Christie, who is the author of two books, The Silent Daughter and Find Her First, which is our new book, just out in January, I think it was, Emma, is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah, yep. January 20th. And um, she, our, our first book, uh, The Silent Daughter, made it onto various shortlists when it was first released. Um, some of the biggest Scottish crime sort of awards, such as the McIlvany Prize and the Bloody Scotland debut of the year. And as I say, our, our new book's just been released. So it's quite exciting times to kind of get, get you on here because so, it kind of feels like we're, we're getting a, a nice kind of up-and-coming author on the podcast. So it's great. So thank you for coming on and t- talking oh, to I'm us. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. <laughs> So now the first question that I want to ask you is your website says that you are you live in Barcelona. So are you in Barcelona at the moment? Because if you are, you're probably the furthest afield guest that we've had on the podcast so far. Yeah, I am in Barcelona at the moment. I've been Fantastic. out here for about five or six years. Like I live between Scotland and Spain, but then um, when COVID happened, I mainly was stuck in Spain so it's yeah it's, it's my full-time home at the moment um and I love it I've been here for for five years and I, I lived here just after uni as well so it's just it's a brilliant place to be yeah it's much more sunny I'd imagine than, than uh, most of Scotland most of the time especially at this time of year I would imagine yeah yeah no it's the weather's <laughs> a, a bonus just having sunlight to be honest is a bonus yeah yeah if, if it has been a bit of a dreary, uh, rainy day today in Scotland, so you're not missing much back over here at the moment, <laughs> the moment in terms of that. Um, so um, you you quit your law degree that you were doing to study literature, and you worked as a journalist for a bit of time as well. What was it that, that kind of made you want to give writing fiction a go? Um, I think I always knew I wanted to, to write. Um, you know, I, started, I did law at university because... I got the good grades and everyone kind of said either it's either law or medicine and I don't like blood so I thought right I'll do law <laughs> and then I got bored I just I just really really disliked it and so you know I started doing literature and I, and I loved that um, and then I thought this logical thing to do was either teach or become a journalist so I did both those things but I still kind of wasn't totally satisfied and I realised I'd always enjoyed writing um, I'd written songs and poems and wee stories and stuff but I'd never really thought about writing a novel and I just thought I think this is maybe what I really want to try and do I just I don't know it had been kind of nagging at me for a while that I wanted to give it a go I suppose when I was a journalist I interviewed quite a lot of writers and I always loved speaking to them and hearing about how they went from having a normal job to being a writer and Mm. I thought well I think I want to try (laughs) so so I quit my job and it took me 10 years um from the time I quit quit my job to get a book deal took me 10 years but um I learned a lot in that time and and uh, well it's been worth it in the end so yeah fantastic and it's also interesting to hear those kind of stories as to how people get into writing and and there usually is quite a long kind of thing gap from when they, they kind of decide to kind of start writing and then yeah. they, when they actually finally get published and Absolutely. I guess there's a lot of kind of sort of patience required to kind of get through that so yeah definitely patience and, and perseverance and, <laughs> and the ability to accept rejection after rejection I think that's the hardest bit yeah yeah and and it happens to the best of them as well so mm. as obviously kind of, sort of famous ones like J.K. Rowan and things like that but yeah um, so you just I guess you do have to kind of just stack at it now, mm. 
Both your novels that you've done so far are both been set in Portobello. Um, is there any particular reason behind that as the location that you chose? Yeah, basically, um, initially when I started writing, I set my books in Mexico and Guatemala because I, I was living over there for a while. Yeah. And um, all the feedback, I, well, most of the feedback I got from publishers was, was that they didn't want books set in those locations. Um, so my agent said, have you ever thought about writing in Scotland? And to be honest, I hadn't. Um, but I was about to move back to Scotland at that point. I moved back for about six months. And by total chance, I'd, I'd rented a flat in Portobello. And I just absolutely loved it. Like, I'd never lived in Portobello before. And to be honest, I didn't really know Portobello existed. Like, have you ever been? It's amazing. <laughs> I don't think I have. I mean, it's one of these few places that I think most Scottish people have heard of, but I've, I don't think I've ever been. Uh, I can't remember ever been to Portobello. Yeah, it was just, it's beautiful. I mean, it's like right on the edge of Edinburgh, you've got a fantastic beach and you can see Arthur's seat in the mountains and stuff from there. So I just, as my sort of return to Scotland after quite a few years away, I just found it really inspiring. And I was starting a new book when, when I got there and I just thought, well, if I'm going to be in Scotland, then I'm going to set it here because I love it. So, um, and also it's it's a really nice community feel there. So I felt that I would be able to maybe, um, you know, create that sort of community within the book. And, yeah. and actually what's happened is that I've now sort of turned Portobello into the place that all my books are set, which I hadn't intended to do at all. Um, but it works very well because it is kind of close knit, and you've got you know all different kinds of people in in the community. So um, it's great. I, I love writing about it. Fantastic. Now, one of the things that I noticed um, when you when reading your books was that, that it really stands out is that you really kind of leave the, the reader guessing to the very last kind of sections of of the page. There's always a big twist or a big reveal or something like that in, in there. Was that something that was important to you when you think about your writing and, and kind of set out to kind of plan your novel to kind of have that big reveal moment? Well, do you know, I. I've said this before and it's it's totally true even though people don't believe it like I did not intend <laughs> to write a thriller I, I I thought like when I was writing my first book I just I had this character in my mind um the main character Ruth Morrison and I kind of knew what the end of her story was but I had no idea how to write the story and so I, I, I wrote this book and sent it to my agent and she said do you realize you've written a thriller <laughs> I was like eh, no <laughs> And uh, so then we kind of shaped it into that. And um, it definitely wasn't the plan. And with the second one, I suppose by the time the second one came out, or when I was writing it, I knew that my sort of brand was thriller writer. So I did write it more with that intention. But at the same time, what came first for me was the actual character and the sort of issues that I wanted to explore rather than what's going to really shock the reader. You know, it's just happens to be that the stories are right um or the things that interest me have you know have turned out to be quite good twists <laughs> for the reader so yeah no it's definitely i mean i i've totally did not see the ending of either of the books coming but whenever i was reading them so so hmm. definitely kind of you keep them well hidden i think the, the that's reader. good to know um and the obviously the your first novel the sound daughter as we said did has received huge praise it got shortlisted in some quite major awards and things like that so stuff that must have been quite satisfying um did that take you by surprise a little bit being a first time writer to kind of get into those shortlists yeah no definitely i mean it was it was just so i was so excited 
<laughs> when I got the phone call, the um, Bob, the director of Bloody Scotland, he phoned me uh, to let me know. And I mean, I'd kind of dreamed of of getting you know, getting onto the long list, yeah, um, of one of them. But then when I got onto the long list and then onto the short list of both of them, it was just absolutely amazing. Um, and you know, just to see my name alongside such big names like Stuart McBride and uh, Val McDermott was on there as well, Denise Miner, and just thought, wow, it was just it was totally mind blowing to be yeah. honest. It's kind of like the who's who of of Scottish crime, really, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, yeah, a, absolutely. A, a good set of people to be in amongst. Mm-hmm. Um, now, let's, I've talked quite actually a little bit about the books now. In the book. Um, Chris, the main character of, uh, or one of the main characters of, of The Silent Daughter, his world is pretty much turned upside down a bit when his, his wife ends up in a coma and he can't get in touch, touch with his daughter Ruth. Um, and even his son disappears for a little while as well in the story at, at some point. Um, he, and he starts to kind of see some links between everything as the story progresses and kind of sort of puts kind of things together as he sees it. Um, and he's really his world's really kind of falling apart in, in a bit of a heartbeat, really, isn't it? For him, mm. it all kind of happened very quickly to him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think when I was working as a journalist, um, you know, I covered a lot of crime stories and you know just horrible stories about deaths and, and things. And I think your life can just suddenly turn upside down. You know, it just takes the tiniest thing and then quite often it seems like a snowball um, effect. And, you know, you would you would look at some families and, they, you know, or I'd speak to them and interview them and they would just say, you know, two, this time last week we were, you know, on holiday or something. And then, yeah. you know, the next week they're organising a funeral or something like that. And it's, I think that's one of the things I learned in journalism was just how quickly your life can just go completely haywire you know and it can also the opposite it can suddenly go from being a really normal life to suddenly being you know something amazing happening but um yeah i mean i think uh, you know the sort of what happens to chris morrison and the sort of the sort of falling apart of his world is is uh you do feel quite bad for him i think at some yeah. point it's yeah, like he doesn't like quite know uh where to who he can trust does he but um yeah, yeah it's uh for sure, yeah, definitely. And one one of the things that I wondered about the story was he, he gets involved with he gets his, his co- colleague and friend um, Sandy involved in mm-hmm. kind of a sort of investigation into what's going on and things because he, he doesn't really kind of feel as if I feel as if he doesn't really think the, the police is kind of doing as much as they he wants them to to try and find out mm-hmm. what's happening. Um, do, do you think that kind of was a bit of a mistake by him in terms of getting Sandy involved and kind of jumping to worst case scenarios a bit? I kind of feel as if sometimes it kind of made them feel as if like they were kind of getting that sensational story for almost kind of thinking of as a journalist rather than as a kind of like family member to what's going on. Yeah, yeah, anyway, I think, and I think that's, I think Mikey, uh, Chrissy's son, kind of picks up on that as well and he says, you know, his dad always just goes to the worst conclusion and and I think, I think as a journalist, that is something that certainly I do and I did, you know, sort of, I think, because you do, you just sort of realise, um, you start seeing, I don't see everything as a news story, but I still see the potential. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm out, you can say, oh, oh, you know, if I was a journalist, I would write a story about that, I would write a story about that. And you, <laughs> you often do go to the worst case scenario, you know. Um, and so I think, I mean, um, I kind of brought that in because I think that was part of my experience as well. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was it was quite good having a sort of a sidekick because I think I think one of the 
Sandy wasn't in the book originally, um, and I think I just kind of felt it, it was quite good to have someone who could play ideas off and have a sort of stable influence, you know, beside the Chris, whose world was falling apart, even if he was a wee bit dramatic, Sandy, but um, he likes to get his stories. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked him as a character, I have to say, but... Um, but I think he did kind of jump to to the kind of sensational story, looking for the headline mm. a little bit sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, now, one of the other things that you do kind of have through the story is that you, you kind of have, there's a sort of voice appears every so often, tell, kind of telling you a little bit about what might be what might be hinting towards what maybe the happened to Ruth and why um, Chris can't find her. Um, was that kind of designed as a kind of hint towards what might, the fate might be for Ruth as the story went yeah. on? Yeah, I mean, the the voice in, in The Silent Daughter that we, you know, we don't know who it is, that was, the, that was the voice that came to me originally when I was still working as a journalist and thinking I'd quite like to write a book, and that voice came to me and I thought, oh... I think I need to listen to it, you know, and uh, and those those passages were the first ones that I wrote actually, and they're also the only ones that survived from the very 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 first draft to the published version. Um, you know, everything else was massively massively edited and changed, and location was changed and everything. Um, but those chapters have always been the same. So for me, they they are the sort of heart of the story, um, and the rest of the story was built around that. To be honest, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things I think a lot of people will be surprised by is by, by the twist and story, which we obviously can't touch on too much because uh, it'd be a huge spoiler. It's quite a, an original take on that kind of crime novel, really, and uh, ending. I, I thought, and it, it's not it's not scared to touch on quite a big big kind of story or, or a big um, topic um, mm-hmm. in a way. So was was that something that you was kind of hard to kind of put one, put it down or did you find that quite easy? Yeah, I mean it was it was really hard to be honest. Um again I didn't I didn't sort of choose that topic to be controversial. It was just something that I had that character in mind that I wanted to explore, you know, Ruth Morrison's story and um, you know, I started writing this story ten years ago and, you know, the world was a bit different then but um, it certainly once it kind of started getting closer to publication, I did start thinking, "Oh my goodness, I have written about something quite controversial with the first book and with the second book." Um, so there is always a worry of how it's going to be received, you know. But um, yeah. so far, um, it's been received fairly positively, I would say. So yeah. I'm happy about that, and um, yeah, it's um, it's quite interesting to to write about challenging subjects, but. Um, you know, these are just things that genuinely interest me, so I just went yeah. for it. And, and again, the second book also has that, has, as you said there, sort of touched on another sort of big topic as well. Was that mm-hmm. a kind of, was that a theme that, that you kind of set out to have that kind of, or, or, or was it just kind of coincidence that kind of that happened and had, you had to Yeah, again, I mean, I, I didn't, th- I didn't start the book and think, well, I'm going to write about something really controversial. I just, um, Again, I kind of came to, I had the characters first. I had one particular scene um, in my head for ages and ages and ages. And I, and I, and I can't see what scene it was. Well, it's, it's actually a scene that's now towards the end. But when I first wrote the book, it was the, it was the first scene I wrote. And and I just thought, what has happened here? What, like I, I, don't, I didn't know what had happened, but I knew that I wanted to kind of find out. Um, and it turned out to be... The, the controversial thing that cannot be mentioned, but um, <laughs> uh, 
it's a uh, you know it's a, it's funny i'm not a planner at all so i quite often just start the book with a particular scene or a sort of confrontation between a character and, and you know two characters and, and kind of think what is i almost feel like i'm butting in on them and and serving it and it's like a freeze frame and i have to work out what how they've got there um, which is quite a frustrating way to write, to be honest, but um, it's quite exciting as well because I don't actually know how, how things are going to turn out. Yeah, it's as, as much a surprise for you as it is. It honestly is. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds mad, but it's true. <laughs> uh, as I was reading um, the Find Her First, um, I, I was finding it quite hard to decide which of the characters was the ones that I had kind of most sympathy for. Um, mm. Because the story unfolds, because there's always there seems to be a few skeletons in the closet for for most of the characters in it. Um, was that kind of something that again kind of was meant in a way, or or was that kind of just a kind of natural thing that came out whenever you were writing it? That everyone had a bit of a backstory that was to be to be told a little bit. I think I think with 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 Finder first, I think I learned quite a lot from uh, editing the first one about you know, sort of balancing out characters and, and trying not to have every character as wholly good or wholly bad, you know. Mm. Um, and and I just, yeah, I, I, I found, um, I, I don't know, again, it, was, it wasn't it was an entirely intentional thing, but I think just learning to present people as they really are um, with all their paranoias and flaws and, and you know, the sort of challenges that, that, that sort of people how people react in certain situations is not always what you would think but um but yeah i really enjoyed developing the characters in that book actually especially betty um but i had i'd had betty in my mind for years and years and i never knew like i always i, I always thought she's going to be in one of my books but i don't know where she fits i don't know what her role is in any story and she finally found it and found her first and I'm, I'm delighted for her because <laughs> I'm like, she's now left my head, which is good. Um, <laughs> and I think she's, uh, she's found her story. So, um, so yeah, I'm pleased about that. Uh, touching on Betty there a little bit, I, I was curious, where did the idea behind like, the pennies and the, the sort of leaving them and finding them come from? Because I, th I thought it was quite a, an interesting and unique thing that, that was put in there. Yeah, you know, I'm not entirely sure where that first came from, but I do pick up a lot of pennies. Uh -huh. um, and I seem to find them all the time. And I don't know, like, when I had the idea, but it, it did just strike me one day, you know, where do they all come from? And just, you know, imagine if someone's putting them there. And then I was like, oh! And then they're watching and i suppose it just kind of came from that you know and, and honestly if you any jacket or pair of trousers or drawer of mine is full of pennies it's hilarious <laughs> and actually one day i went out and um when i was writing the book and I, and I and i did what betty does and i put a penny down on the ground at a bench and i felt it was just to kind of see how it feels to do that <laughs> and um <laughs> i felt like i don't know it felt really uncomfortable and then I was going to wait and see if anyone picked it up, but I I, I could I actually just was too embarrassed, so I, I just left it. But um, it was good to see how odd it feels to, to actually do it. Um, but you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe that maybe someone does do it. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you never know. Who, who, like, it, does, it, it kind of takes people watching a little bit to a whole new level, really. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that adds absolutely. A new element to it. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and if and if it does bring some people luck, then that, that's obviously a good thing for the world, putting absolutely. nice karma out there into the world and, and with, <laughs> with a few pennies dropped here and there. So that's good. Uh, again, the, the main character, Andy, seems to have his life turned upside down again in the book as well. But unlike Chris, it appears at the, at the outset that it might be of his own doing, really, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think immediately, you know, when we start the book, you know, we think, you know, we don't really know what to think about Andy because, you know, but it's obvious that he's done something uh, from the first chapter. Um that he probably shouldn't have done and and I think it's yeah it was quite hard to work out exactly how to present Andy but um I think uh, there's a lot of tension in the book I think you know I was quite tense writing it and um you know sort of desperate to see how how he was perceived because you know he's a paramedic so you know everyone everyone sort of thinks Andy's a great guy and sort of yeah. providing that contrast again with what's really going on under the surface and, you know, this sort of public um, persona is was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was an interesting character. And, and again, the, the sort of eventual reveal of whatever that happens is, again, another fascinating mm -hmm. reveal. And it all becomes clear, obviously, at the end as to what, what happened. Um, both books are kind of listed as being kind of standalones, but there are a few characters that kind of transfer between the two books. Probably most kind of significantly, the policewoman Faraday McPherson. Is mm -hmm. there any chance we're going to see her in other and more future books? Do you think this year? Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely hope so. I'm I'm writing my third book at the moment, and she is a character in it. And um, I just I love writing about Farida. I just think she's I, I don't I don't think I would mess with Farida McPherson. No, no. <laughs> to be honest, like. I don't, I don't know what her, her story is, to be honest. Like, well, I know a few things about her, but because she's always been this character that kind of comes in and, and out, um, you know, I think she very much presents this sort of uh, image, she's like a standing stone, isn't she? She's very hard and hard to read. Um, and I just think she's, I, I really like her. Uh, and she, again, she, she was sort of edited in fairly late on in the whole process. I'd written the book, and I had a a male policeman actually called what was his name? Kenny Cochran, his name was actually. And then I was um chatting with my agent just about two drafts in the end and we we're like, Do you know what? I think we should make the policeman a woman. because <laughs> we, we realised it was that basically there was, you know, Chris was a man, Sandy was a man, Mikey was a man, and I was like, We don't really have any uh, mm -hmm. sort of women and yeah. so I was like well this is quite a challenge because I'd always sort of imagined it and actually as soon as I started writing her I thought oh I love her so much better than the previous one and uh, and she has kind of taken on a life of her own so um, so yeah I definitely hope she makes it into the third book she's in it at the moment um, but I haven't yet been through the editing process so we'll see <laughs> if she gets if she's allowed to stay yeah. or not but I hope so and uh, Sandy's a little character I think that we kind of that kind of transfers over a little bit as well, doesn't he? Yeah, um, yeah, he sort of makes a wee cameo, and um, I, I, I'm hoping he will also uh, have a wee cameo here and there, um, in in future books as well, because I do like Sandy as well. Fantastic. And does that does that mean that the doors might be open for for Betty to reappear and leave some more pennies as well? Do you know so many people have said they would love to see <laughs> Betty again, and do you know the funny thing is that I have so many chapters that didn't make it into the book um 
that are focused on Betty and, and you know initially she was a much 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 bigger character we were much more deeply in her world um, but in the end we decided it worked better if we knew less about Betty um, so I do have honestly like half a book's worth of Betty chapters so <laughs> who knows maybe at some point there will be uh, a standalone Betty book you never know I would I mean I would be happy to write about it again and did you always kind of set off in mind of having that link between the books in some way or 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 was that kind of just kind of introduced because of a kind of character here and that kind of maybe did transfer over or was it always planned to kind of set that in like that kind of portobello world if you like yeah <laughs> and it wasn't my intention when i started writing the second book um i i had started writing it from a, a journalist point of view and then i switched to the paramedics point of view um, but then I realised that without a journalist, it kind of needed a journalist in a way to kind of keep moving the story on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the good thing about being a journalist is that you have access to the police, the fire brigade, the, you kind of know everyone. Yeah. So it's quite a good character to have because feasibly you could be speaking to everyone. Um, so I decided, I didn't want to bring Chris Morrison back in, but I, I decided, to, you know, Sandy was a good one because he's a sort of... Um, it was just, I think most people quite like Sandy. Um, so I brought him back in. And then Farida, again, because then I decided to set, set it in Portobello, I thought, well, it's got to be Farida. Uh, yeah. And, I, and you know, she gets, I think she, you probably get to know her quite a bit better and find her first than you do in the first one. Um, so, so yeah, um, again, you know, and, and people say, is it a series? I mean, it's not a series because even though, I mean, I suppose in some ways, is it? It's set in the same community, some of the same characters, but the protagonist is never the same, you yeah. know. So I don't know if that counts as a series or not. Yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, obviously, I feel it's almost it's almost like your own version of the Marvel superhero universe, where like you can have your individual stories, but like you're all kind of <laughs> yeah. link in with with characters all the way. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that is, but um, I, I did like Farida as a character and, and like say, you do kind of, I did feel like you got to kind of find out much or experience or much more in Find Her First and it was good to kind of, kind of get that sort of more of her because I think she has an mm -hmm. interesting character so I'll be interested to see if, how, if and how she develops in future books if she does appear yeah. in them. Um, outside of writing your, your own two fantastic novels, um, you also set up an online festival for debut authors, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's the Diary of a Debut Novelist um, Festival. So I set that up during the first lockdown, so 20, August 2020. Um, and that was basically because anyone who was a debut in 2020 like couldn't go to any events. Yeah. So we couldn't meet anyone, we couldn't network and all that. So I've got a group called the D20 Authors. That's just, um, there's 80 of us who were all published in 2020 and we all sort of, met online and in a Facebook group um, to help each other out and just to sort of have some sort of social contact with other writers while we were all locked up at home. Um, and then from that emerged the festival. So the first one was held in 2020 and I've held it um, every year since. So it's coming into its third year uh, this year. And I've been running as well as the main festival, which runs in autumn. I run monthly events as well for, yeah kind of for debut authors 
by debut authors, but also it's of interest to readers, I think, as well. And it's about mm. the writing process and the challenges of being a writer and things. So it's really good. And it's a great way for me to hear about new books and new debut writers as well. So it's, it's great. Yeah, no, it sounds really fantastic whenever I discovered that. And, and it sounded really interesting. And like you say, that obviously 2020 wasn't the, the best year in the world to kind of release your debut novel, probably, mm. in, in most cases. And it's... And, we we kind of tried to connect that a little bit with with some of our promotions and for a little bit we got and things like that and focused a bit more mm-hmm. on debut novels and things that were released and stuff because like you say I mean traditional author events and things like that kind of disappeared and and that's mm-hmm. kind of probably what I would imagine one of the most obvious ways for folk to get their, their name out there and, yeah. and their book out there so it's great that that you set that up and support and kind of other debut novelists that came out at that same time and you're also you're also part of the Caledonian Crime Collective as well aren't you? Yeah so that's that's great so basically after I set up the debut festival and I you know met hundreds of debut authors and I suddenly realised none of them were Scottish and I thought how can that possibly be and I realised I basically had no contacts in the Scottish scene and then when I got shortlisted for the, the two big Scottish prizes, I thought again, I thought I'm going to go to this awards event and I actually don't know any Scottish writers. This is ridiculous. So um, <laughs> so basically I, I spoke to my friend Trevor. So Trevor Wood is a crime writer in Newcastle and he's got a group of North Northern England um, crime writers and they sort of meet every month and chat and they do events and stuff. And I, and I spoke to him and I said, do you think I should do something like that in Scotland? So... He gave me some tips and he gave me the names of some writers that he knew um, that were sort of, you know, at the same stage of their career more or less as me. And so I just popped them all an email and said, do you want to sort of form a group and, you know, chat and support each other and do events? And everyone was super enthusiastic. And we've now done, we've done um, one live event in um, Stirling and uh, we're also appearing at I Write, uh, book festival in Glasgow we've done quite a lot of online events for libraries for um other festivals and stuff so it's been really really good and we meet every month and chat and have a laugh and stuff like that like meet online um but it's great and we've met a few times in person as well so it's it's been a really really positive um sort of creation I have to say it's really really good fun and and I think we're all enjoying being part of it so hopefully you'll hear more from the Caledonia Crime Collective Fantastic. in the coming coming years. <laughs> the, the next generation of, of Scottish crime novels that are coming through. So yeah. Yeah. Right. And um, I was going to ask you if, if it's too early to talk about book three, but obviously you mentioned the are and currently currently writing at the moment. So how yeah. how far along is, is that, or is it is it coming? It's, but unbelievably, I'm, I'm I'm two weeks from deadline. Um, for the first draft I've got to hand it into my agent in two weeks time so at the moment I mean I've been writing it since November December time and it's all been going really well but as ever five days or, two, or, or about <laughs> ten days before deadline I now think it's terrible and I hate it so <laughs> um, this is normal though I think the only I don't think writing books gets any easier but I think what changes is you realize that all you always hit a point of of losing all faith in your book just before it's just before you're about <laughs> to submit it <laughs> yeah. so um no I, I mean it's it's also set in portobello and it's um it's about a bus driver the main protagonist is a bus driver this time called dave um and so we're following dave on his daily shift around oh. edinburgh 
Um, and he's a great character. I really like Dave. And um, I've got four um, sort of points of view in this book at the moment, and I, and, I, and I think that's probably too many. So one of them is going to be lost. But Dave's Dave's the main one, and he's definitely going to stay. So um, I wouldn't say too much more at this point because it may all change <laughs> as as I go into the editing process. But that's going to be released in March twenty twenty three. March 2023. Well, I will look forward to that one coming out because I have enjoyed the first two very much Great. so so far. Um, as as a, always good to get a little bit of a book recommendation in our podcast since it is called For the Love of Books. So I'll put you on the spot a little bit and ask you, have you got any book recommendations that you've put out to our listeners um, that you've kind of read recently and, and thought were worth a mention? Yeah, absolutely. Um so one of my favourite books, I would say, of the past couple of years, actually, is a book called The Smallest Man by Francis Quinn. I don't know if you've read it. It's a historical novel. Um, so I, when I'm not writing, my other sort of career, my other job is um, a tour guide. So I, like, I love history and I actually love yeah. reading historical novels. Um, so The Smallest Man by Francis Quinn is, is one of my favourite reads in recent years. That's set in the 1600s, I think, in England. Um, and another one that's also historical is On Wilder Seas by Nicky Marmory, which is about um, also 16th century, I think. And it's about Francis Drake's um, ship as he's going around the earth. Um, but I suppose if you want a kind of crimey one, I would say Trevor Wood. The Newcastle Crime Writer. He's got a series of three crime books, um, all sort of centred on a homeless man called Jimmy Mullen, and they're just brilliant books. His dialogue is fantastic. Trevor used to be a playwright, so yeah. his um, dialogue is brilliant, and the stories are, are fantastic. So um, that would be. I know that's like yeah. five books that I'm recommending, but a trilogy that's two right. standalones, but that's all, right. um, all brilliant reads. You can't. You can never have too many recommendations. It's all good. Exactly. <laughs> the, to to read piles are are there to just grow and grow and grow. That's no, oh, no I know. reason of having a to read pile. <laughs> I know. Mine's just out of control. I think I think it can get for as a, from a librarian point of view, it can be very easy to get a, a, your to read pile out of control because you just see books all the time. And I would imagine it's quite similar for for writers as well because I'm sure you guys get, kind of get books off of other writers and kind of. Oh, it's just non-stop. So much. I just want to go away somewhere for two weeks and just read all the books. Oh, but I, I don't. It would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I need to. I need to. But then, actually, when I like, I, I usually take holidays just when I finished a draft. And like, when I finish a draft, I don't want to look at words. So it's just like, <laughs> it's never. It never works out that way. So I, I need to find a system to get through all these books at some point. But. <laughs> Um, you, know, we'll, we'll, you, can, you can work on that and hopefully we'll get you start getting through them um, that's pretty much all my questions for you um, Emma so thank you very much for, for joining me today on our podcast it's been fascinating to find out a little bit more about your portobello books and also just to kind of sort of a little bit more about yourself um, thank you so much for having me Chris you're welcome and just before we finish up the podcast i'll give a week and a few updates on our service um world book night is coming up soon and we do have a pub quiz on on the saturday of world book night um in the library and you can sign up and by contacting the library and sign up for a team in that if you fancy trying to become the literary champions of north actual libraries and one in the pub quiz that's on there. And don't forget, as mentioned in the last podcast, we have launched a poetry competition 
which we which means you can get published on our Borobox service on National Poetry Day if your poem is selected to be in the collection that we'll put together and publish on our ebook platform. So do have a look out on that. You can find out all about that on our website at culturenl.co.uk slash libraries slash what's dash on dash libraries. A nice easy URL for everyone to remember there for that one. Um, if you have any feedback on our podcast, if you drop us an email to librarypodcast at northland.gov.uk or use the hashtag FLB podcast on Twitter and leave us some feedback. But that's all for me, guys. Thank you very much. And one final thank you to Emma for joining me tonight. So thank you. Thanks and see you again. Thank you. Bye guys.